Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday the 29th of October 2019. Mark Pender is on the US East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, today may be the 90th anniversary of Black Tuesday, which of course heralded the Great Depression of 1929, but with the S&P 500 closing out yesterday at a new record high, financial markets would seem to be in an optimistic mood at the start of what is a bumper week for key data and events. So what could possibly go wrong? Mark, I guess FOMC meeting, third quarter GDP, October employment all stand out, but where do you think the big risks lie over the next few days? The big risks. Well, uh, the first un- complete uncertainty is tomorrow's outcome of the FOMC. The Econoday sample is almost split right down the middle. Uh, there's a, a bias or a, a small uh, majority who think that there will be a, a 25 basis point uh, rate cut. Um, and certainly last week's durable goods orders were very weak and included a, a sharp drop off in capital goods that uh, a second consecutive one and that is really pointing to weak business investment which is what the fed has their eyes on due to the slowdown in for manufactured goods demand for manufactured goods uh so that is completely unknown uh and um my hunch if whatever it's worth is because of that last result i think that they probably will cut rates um but uh, you don't you you don't have to quote me on that, Jeremy. And uh, I will if I do. I will if I do. <laughs> okay. GDP looks to be pretty uh, tame. The Econa Day consensus for this one is uh, 1.7%. Uh, with, however, consumer spending at a very favorable 2.6% uh, following a, a red hot second quarter at 4.6%. So uh, that looks to be healthy. It's also, you know, it's about, it's on the third quarter. It'll tell us where uh, the momentum was going into uh, into October, but it probably won't be a game changer for the financial markets. The employment report now is on Friday. That Sorry, can, is, I, can, I, can I quickly interrupt? Just in terms yeah. of the GDP numbers, yeah. um, are there any expectations in terms of what net trade might might be worth in this thing? That's uh, a hard, well, sort of stuff. Well, we had uh, that is a that's up in the air. It could be favorable, but it, it would be related to um, Monday's uh, goods trade, uh, which is part of the um, September uh, uh, trade report. These will be inputs into um, the net exports for third quarter GDP. They were very favorable on on the level that the deficit went down to you know, only $70 billion in the month. Mm-hmm. But um, so the direction is uh, is favorable, but it masks uh, contraction, both monthly and year-on-year contraction in imports and exports, which is which matches. You can take the smallest economy uh, uh, like Singapore and, and, and look at their uh, year-on-year change in exports and imports, and the graphs all look alike. They're, yeah, sl- they're, sl- they're all going down to flat, if not in contraction. So they're, um, so that is an unfavorable sign. You know, exports and inventories, they, they affect um, GDP significantly, but uh, the the reason they're affecting them is sometimes hard to tell, um, and the underlying consumer spending, I think, is is um, is the more important of the the things to get a hold of. And we just had a consumer confidence report this morning that uh, wasn't great, wasn't bad. Um, uh, it you know uh, every the outlook is mixed, but the assessment of the jobs uh, employment is still. 
favorable, which gets me to the employment report for Friday. Now, um, this is up in the air, a wide range in the Econoday sample from 50,000 non-farm payroll growth to 155,000. Um, this would be tied to the GM strike since the, uh, an agreement has since been ratified, but uh, it uh, shut down or held down um, vehicle production in September, which affected the industrial production report. And whether or not these were pulled off the payrolls, uh, we'll see. Um, so you could get a head fake on that. So if you do get a low number and the strike is already over, you would, would then uh, uh, presumably get an, uh, a quick bounce. Um, so that might be hard to read, but uh, underlying fundamentals in there, such as average hourly earnings, uh, uh, generally uh, flat, uh, little change in the growth rate, roughly 3% for wages. Um, but the manufacturing component in that is uh, going to be uh, the wild card. The Econoday sample has a 50,000 decline in the manufacturer. That's where vehicles are, are, are included. And uh, that's the consensus with uh, the low at 75,000, although some see actual gains, small gains for this component. So it's kind of up in the air. Um, I think then for the U.S., I think that the jobs report will probably be too hazy to um, make much difference. The GDP, as long as consumer spending is okay, will be fine. It's what the Fed does. If they do not cut rates, that would be, even though it's not that big of a surprise, it could be a big statement. And um, um, it, that would, I guess, be the, the big risk. Do you think if they don't cut rates, I mean, that the tone's still going to be dovish enough to try and ensure that you know, financial markets aren't too upset? Yeah, they, they, that's very true. They, then they would try to spin it the other way to uh, balance things out. Because the more they cut rates, the less you know uh, latitude they have before having to go into a more uncon unconventional uh, um, uh, policy tools. Uh, and I don't think anyone really wants to do that right now. It, it's uh, so. Uh, that would be, I think, a, a reason not to cut rates and then, like you say, say that but we're very prepared to if things don't pick up. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, fine. Just quickly before we end up on the U.S. side, just go back to the uh, the payroll and stuff. Okay. Can I ask you a question regarding – and one of the reasons, I suppose, for perhaps arguing against um, any kind of further cuts in interest rates is that your employment rate is ridiculously low. It is. So is it the case now that perhaps markets going to become more sensitive to the jobless rate? Let's mm -hmm. suppose we get a surprise increase in the jobless rate. Would that then have people start and think, well, look, there's been a slowdown. There's been talks about recession being – you at some point in time does it kind of make the jobless rate more important going forward or is it still all about the payroll the jobless rate uh, is i think there's been more sensitivity to uh, the payroll change than the jobless rate over the last couple of years generally because it did move so low below anyone's expectations and and uh, you know economists really base so much of their efforts on the unemployment rate and just just see it go right through uh, the floor and not have a uh, the expected uh, pickup in wages kind of reduce the sensitivity uh, to that number. But you're right, certainly if there was a significant rise in the unemployment rate, you know, a two-tenths rise, right now it's 3.6, or mm -hmm. it's expected to be 3.6, it was 3.5 uh, in September. If that goes up two points to 3.7, um, that's a big move. And that could say, well, we need to cut rates. But, you know, with the Fed may have uh, have a peak at these uh, some of these numbers. Uh, this report is out on Friday. Policy meters uh, uh, makers are meeting today and tomorrow, and they very well could have some uh, prior indications of what this report will show. Uh, 
And uh, so they may have a feel on how to get in front of the spin on what to do with the em- employment report. Also, GDP that morning, Wednesday morning, will play I- into how they have to approach uh, um, this move. But um, they're kind of stuck everywhere else. They have more ammunition, a little bit more than others, but not a lot. And there's none new on the uh, traditional ammunition on the way, which is lower rate, uh, lower rates. Uh, if they want to go into uh, some other kind of a, of a tool, you know, or some other kind of, you know, uh, to uh, stimulate the economy, um, that would be more difficult. And that brings in QE. Are they, are they going to start uh, increasing QE again? Uh, um, certainly, you know, the, the trouble we saw last month in the overnight um, uh, market, that, you know, it, it, they're taking care of it now with temporary liquidity. They could take care of that with permanent liquidity as well. So, um uh, that's another factor. It's uh, it's up in the air. But if I think if it has a hawkish spin, I mean, how about the EB, uh, ECB um, last week? It, w- w- was there a hawkish anything in there? It's hard to find anything hawkish from the ECB at the moment. Although that said, I mean, it's worth reiterating that we're talking about a European Central Bank for which the council is is quite significantly split between the dubs and the hawks. But in terms of what was uh, Mario Draghi's last meeting as the ECB president, there was nothing new on the policy front in terms of new measures or forward guidance and really no surprises there. Of course, Christine Lagarde now will be in hot. Not lit's over policy at the moment. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of suggests that the chances of any kind of significant change between now and at least the beginning of 2020 are going to be pretty slim. Does Lagarde have a uh, reputation for being dovish? She does. Um, she comes from the French school. Um, if anything, I think she's she's certainly seen. A, if push comes to shove, she'd be quite happy to try and you know encourage um, other council members to go for you know adding to quantitative easing or or even possibly putting you know the deposit rate into deeper into negative territory. But mm-hmm. yes, I think it's fair to say that she's being regarded as really being something as a natural successor to Mario Draghi, who was himself you know, very much regarded as being on the on the dovish side of the policy spectrum. Now, the, the ECB moved their deposit rate in their prior meeting. They kept the refi rate, their main policy rate, unchanged. What is their marginal lending rate? And, 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 and is that a policy tool as well? Well, the so-called marginal lending rate um, refers to the uh, lending facility, which is at 0.25%. It is a policy tool. It kind of acts as sort of the uh, lender of last resort, if you like, so banks can access it if they want to. But in practice, because we have so much liquidity sloshing around the system at the moment, with so many excess reserves around, the marginal lending facility is really neither here nor there. No one tends to look at it at the moment. Um, As you mentioned, the benchmark referee rate, 0.0% is the main policy rate per se but because again we've got so much liquidity in the system it's almost a deposit rate now which is minus 0.5 percent which is setting the the sort of the benchmark level if you like for money market rates and that's why although it's the refi rate which many forecasters will forecast as i say still refer to as the benchmark rate in current conditions it's the deposit rate which is driving where monetary policy is headed um, now, where is it headed? Well, this week's also a big week for European numbers. So on Thursday, we'll get the preliminary flash estimate of third quarter GDP. So the Eurozone's first look at how it was doing last quarter. And that's expected to show a miserable 0.1% quarter on quarter increase in total output. And if we do indeed get that, that would be its worst performance since the first quarter of 2013. Now, unlike your side, unfortunately, we don't get 
any details in the preliminary flash report or indeed the flash report for that much that matter in terms of a gdp expenditure components and such like and indeed we won't even get any country breakdowns but there will be some other national data released this week for a number of the major countries and they're also expected to highlight you know what is a, a broad base slowdown in the eurozone so sorry so you have a, a preliminary flash and a flash yeah, we have a preliminary flash, which they introduced. Um, again, I think we talked about things like this before, you know, trying to get data out to the policymakers as early as possible. So we have a preliminary flash that becomes revised then to what they call the flash estimate. And then they have a final estimate. So this will be the first look at, at, at the third quarter. But it's it's really just based on output data. They uh -huh. don't really have the, um, you know, the expenditure side of it yet. Uh -huh. But um, geographically, we say we'll get some figures out of France and Spain and Italy this week, um, which will give us their national flashed figures for GDP. France expected to come in again on a quarter on quarter basis, just 0.2 percent. That'd be down from 0.3 percent in the second quarter. Italy again is seen showing no growth at all. So stagnation with a second uh, consecutive 0.0 percent. And Spain, well, Spain's still doing OK. That's expected to. Uh, uh, see another 0.4% increase, but that's well down from the kind of rates we were seeing you know, towards the back end of last year and beginning of this year. And that's, what, of course, for the period ending September. Now, we had the PMIs last week and also uh, some more coming out, um, and they're about October. So what are the indications now for the beginning <laughs> yep. of the fourth quarter? Good point. And that's one of the worrying aspects, I think, of course, you know, typically the GDP numbers, we really are talking about what's been happening in the past. These flash PMIs at least are more up to date. So nutshell um, then, composite output flash PMI for um, October for the Eurozone was 48.6. That was just 0.1 point above September's reading, which itself was a near seven-year low. And interestingly, within this, well, manufacturing, we know, in the, we know it's in the doldrums. That was in at 41.9, which is a horrible reading. But services, um, they slipped to 51.2 from 51.4. I mean, it's not a big drop there, but nonetheless, that's a 37-month trough in services too. So it kind of fits in with this idea and a big worry, I think, for the ECB that what the weakness we've got in manufacturing, which has been going on for the best part of a year or so now, you know, is starting to filter through into the services side. But didn't, I'm sorry, yep. but didn't we yep. have a couple of German, those were German data, but what about uh, business and consumer confidence readings, uh, uh, recent ones out of Germany? Have they, They've been uh, pretty pretty good compared, they, right? They've been, or historically speaking, um, the German numbers on consumer confidence have actually held up. And if you look at where we stand, I suppose it's the GFK measure, which is quoted more than, more than any other. Um, the October number was well above the long run average. So was November. But the thing is, it's been trending down now for the best part of six months. So it's a case, I suppose, of what matters more, the level of confidence or the direction of the change. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, the worry for Germany is now that when you look at some of the, the details behind the survey's results, they tend to reflect more and more concerns that, well, look, we've got Germany potentially in recession. We won't get the German GDP numbers, their national figures for a couple of weeks yet. So we've still got a while to wait for that. But there are genuine concerns that having seen the economy contracted in the second quarter, it might well have gone into recession in the third quarter. And that's been 
reflected too in the labour market, which historically is still pretty strong. But nonetheless, the kind of falls we've seen in unemployment and the kind of increases in the payrolls that we've become used to for a long while now, they're starting to give way. And there's at least some early hints that the labour market is starting to soften. And if that happens, of course, then you could have start, have, have start having some uh, real issues in terms of what's going to happen to household consumption and the like. Well, I have a question real fast about uh, Brexit extension. What does that mean for UK business investment, inventories? Is there, has, was this pretty probably expected or it, does this upset plans? Okay, good old Brexit. Where would we be without it? And the answer to that is, well, we're not going to be without it for some while yet. Um, of course, this was supposed to be the week that Brexit was finally delivered. Uh, but that timetable's now gone up in smoke. And rather being on Thursday, as it was supposed to be, Brexit may not now happen for a further 89 days, as um, EU leaders have agreed to another extension, so a second extension, uh, through to the end of January 2020, as per the UK original request. Now, should remember, this now becomes the default position for the UK unless a new withdrawal agreement bill is passed through UK Parliament and ratified by the EU leaders on the other side of the channel. Were that to happen, uh, say, January, the end of January 2020 is the deadline for Brexit. If nothing's happened in terms of agreeing a deal before then, then in theory, the UK will leave without a deal. But if they can get something through both sides of parliaments, then in theory, Brexit could still happen sooner. Well, we're getting Any an election, right? Well, that's right. So anyway, before any, anything else now, it looks very likely that we'll have an early general election. Um, there'll be voting on parliament as to whether or not that's going to happen or not uh, later on this evening, UK time. December the 12th is very much uh, the favoured date currently. That's been proposed by the Prime Minister. And it now looks like he's got enough backing for that. But not in the event, it looks like it's going to be the second week of December. Um, now, financial markets are quite happy at the moment for as far as UK is concerned. And we see that from a level of sterling against the euro. It's having a very good run and indeed against the dollar as well. Now, happy because really as a result, as where we stand in Brexit currently, no deal risks are well, pretty well dissipated at least for now anyway. But of course, political risks are not too far away. Boris Johnson, the good news for him is if we look at the opinion polls at the moment, the Conservatives are running on average at about 36%. Labour are on 24% and the Liberal Democrats on 18%. The Brexit party itself is on 11%. The issue for Johnson, though, is that he really has been hanging his hat on this idea. He would take the UK out of the European Union on October the 31st with or without a deal. That now has gone out the window. He's failed miserably on that. And the danger for him is he could face a backlash from the Brexiteer vote. So UK markets, I'd say now, um, the thing to determine them is me what happens to the, these opinion polls. If we start to see the, uh, the Conservative share coming down, the Labour share going up, UK financial markets are not big fans of Labour government. And we could see that we could see a sell off coming through quite quite um, sharply. Um, if we see the Tories continue to make good progress, that's positive so far. There is still this sense, I think, a feeling that although a no deal Brexit is off the table for now, if Boris Johnson were to get back in with a comfortable majority, then effectively we're going to get back to a position where he can do what he wants. 
So almost, I think, the best case for uh, UK financial markets would be a hung parliament, perhaps led by the Conservatives, but the Conservatives not having a big enough majority to push through the idea that, well, look, we don't care anymore. We have a no, we have a no deal Brexit in the first place. Either way, UK politics is going to be you know, really quite messy over the course of the next few months. What does the Brexit party think of the deal that Boris Johnson has arranged? Well, as far as Brexit party concerned at the moment, their view is that Boris Johnson has acted as a traitor to the cause. Mm. And Brexit, as currently being promised, is nothing like the sort of Brexit they expected when the party was first put together. And that's, and, because, of, and that's because of Northern Ireland? Uh, partly because of Northern Ireland. Certainly, they're not happy about that in the same way the DUP party, party are, are completely cheesed off with the way that thing has gone. But also the amount of money that the UK government could have to pay, was it 30-odd billion to actually quit? And some other bits and pieces as well in terms of EU immigration rights and things like that. So it's possible we could get some kind of link up between the Brexit party and the Conservatives you know, going into this election, but it's not clear whether or not they're prepared to operate uh, next to each other. I should also mention one other person who's probably not going to be too happy uh, with this extension. That's poor old Mark Carney, the Bank of England governor. He was due to leave his position at the central bank also on January the 31st next year. So if this thing is still running by then, he may well be asked to extend his stay for a second time to oversee the process. Huh. And I suppose just just since we're talking about not happy people, the other the other ones can be the guys at the Royal Mint. Um, which will now be forced to recycle some 3 million 50 pence coins that have been specially minted to celebrate Brexit Day taking oh, place well. this Thursday. Win some, lose some. Those are collector's items. Well, they're going to be, well, th these now are going to be recycled. So if you get oh. hold if you can get hold of one, I'll tell you what, it's going to be, it's going to be worth a few bob or two. Um, but they're going to recycle them. They're, they plan now, apparently, to, to reissue them with a different date on them for the, for the end of January next year. Good old Brexit, where would we be without it? Okay, let's round this off then. We should mention just in terms of the uh, central bank policymakers of the world. Um, Wednesday, we'll have the Bank of Canada. Uh, no change is expected there in the current benchmark rate at 1.25%. But should be said, until recent figures, there had been a decent amount of speculation that we could see a cut down to, to 1%. So it's not a done deal, I think, that Bank of Canada will be remaining on hold. Uh, and also do keep an eye on the, uh, the Canadian exchange rate. If we see the Fed cut on Wednesday, as Mark was talking about, the BOC stand pat, and it leads to a run-up in the value of Canadian dollar, then that could certainly be one of the factors pushing for an interest rate cut next time round. And also Bank of Japan lastly will get their announcement um, what, on Thursday. No changes there expected in uh, their short-term policy rate of uh, minus 0.1% or the target level for the uh, long-term uh, JGB yield around the 0% mark. So um, no changes expected out of BOC or BOJ but as we've seen so often in recent weeks and months, expect the tones, the uh, addresses from these um, policymakers all to be on the dovish side. Okay, have we done it all? Is that yeah, about it for today? Yeah, we, we, we ran out. Unless yeah, we ran about out. Rug, rugby, when's the big game? No, rugby, on to more important matters. Yes, everyone wearing their England hats and flags over here. That's on Saturday, World Cup rugby final um, against the might of the South Africans. Could actually be an extremely good game. 
Um, so that's on a happy note. So in that case, that's definitely a case for ending it there. So um, as ever, from Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening. Do keep an eye um, on the global economic calendar from Econodate to keep up to date with all the market events and data. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.